0: You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Welcome to the Blue White Flight Blue CFL Podcast. I'm Austin Davis, co host of the program, and joining me shortly will be co host Joe Pritchard. Bye. I'm introing this episode solo, so as to jump right into our interview with our special guest, former all-star wide receiver for the Winnipeg Blue Conference, current analyst and commentator on TSM, and CFL Twitter A-lister, Milt Stiegel. Enjoy. Yeah, Milt Stiegel, thanks for joining us here on the Bruce Right Blue CFL Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Honored to be here.
0: Great, great, great. Hey, I'd like to just jump right into it. Uh I found out what interesting thing to do the I wanted to ask you about this. Now Wikipedia claims that you hold a pop Warner football game. Now, I was kind of surprised that they kept all-time records there, but did you know you held this record and have there been any serious threats to your supremacy?
1: No, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> you, did, you, you definitely did your research. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I I, I played in in the organization P&O and I was the running back and we have and I don't think we lost one game and I was a running back. So, you know, when you're young, you don't pass the ball. You do is hand it off to the running back. I was the fastest guy out there. So I would score at least two or three touchdowns, sometimes four or five touchdowns every game. So (laughs) it's true. And as far as I know, I don't think that 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 uh, record has been threatened. I don't I don't think so. I don't think so
0: a little bit past that in high school you were pretty much a star athlete in football basketball and track what made you eventually go with with football rather than basketball because i say nowadays you're still covering the sport you're still into the sport so what 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 was it about football for you
1: uh because that's what's going to allow me to go to college for free (laughs) right yeah because actually track I mean, I enjoy football, basketball, and, and, uh, and, and track. But track is my first love. I love track. And I actually got to run my last two years of college, and I enjoyed that. But if I could have ran track and that would have allowed me to get a free education, I would have picked track over football. I enjoy football and, you know, it's done so many great things for myself and my family. But I can sit down and go to a track meet every day and sit there for hours. I love track. That is my first love.
0: Huh. Yep. Interesting. Interesting.
1: Okay. well,
0: let's just jump a little bit further into it. And I'll hand the mic over to Joe after this. Uh, What precipitated your move to the CFL after uh, getting with the Packers for a little while? And what did you know about the league before that?
1: Uh, well, uh, as you mentioned, I was, you know, I was in training camp with the Packers all off season. I spent three years with the Bengals and I signed with the Packers. They're all offseason in training camp. And then I suffered a hamstring injury. And pretty much, you know, after that, that was pretty much it for me because I never got a chance to showcase my skills. I got healthy. They released me. And I assumed you know, my career was over. I was like, OK, it's time to we'll get a real job now, you know. And uh, like a couple of days after I got released, my agent reached out to me and said, you know, there's a team. And the CFL, who wants to sign you? And I'm like, the CFL? I didn't know much about it. I knew Warren Moon played up there. I knew Doug Flutie. They would show some games on, like, I think ESPN 2 or 3, like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. If I was up that late, I would view them. But I didn't know much about it. I didn't know much about Canada, honestly. I've been to Toronto and and Montreal. But my agent told me Winnipeg had my – I said, winner? Who – what's a Winnipeg? Where is that located? So – I looked at an encyclopedia. The internet wasn't back then. I'm like, it's above North Dakota. Like, what in the heck am I getting myself into? But, you know, I was 25. <laughs> I didn't have any real responsibilities. I say, hey, what do I have to lose? If I want to play some more football, this seems like it's going to have to be my rights route. So I went up there and, man, it's, it's one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Not just football-wise, but just one of the better decisions I ever made in my life because it's still uh, benefiting me to this day.
2: Oh, it, it it sure it sure seems to have uh, benefited you. So you 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 come up, you you play a few games that first season. There's still teams in the states um, at that point, but then the next year is your first year there. Uh, were you always? Did you always play inside receiver, or did they have you outside at any point?
1: Yeah, when I when I first got there. Uh, I I was the Z receiver because, I mean, that's what felt natural to me. You know, they were like, where you want to play? I was like, I want to play where I I feel most natural. I saw, when I first got there, I remember I got off the plane and they took me right to practice. And I go to practice and I see all these guys moving all over. Like, hold on, what's going on here? (laughs) What is going on here? What's all this moving and running towards the line of scrimmage? And they was like, what position would you like? I was like, I want to play where I'm on the line of scrimmage where it's what's most natural to me. So when I first got there, I did that, but they – figured uh, they wanted to put me in that slot because uh, they felt I could utilize my speed there more. Uh, uh, I could read the field a little bit better. And I mean, it it worked out for me, but it it took me a while to get used to that motion. It took me basically almost like 18 games. So basically that first and second year, I was not used to it. It it, it took me like 18 games to get used to it. But once I finally figured it out, you know, I was definitely able to use it to my advantage.
2: And we just saw today a day that they made a rule change in the CFL where the hash marks is going to be narrowed Yes. yes. Uh, using, using your experience ha- as having played inside receiver for so long. Uh, they, everybody seems to be talking about how it's going to get the outside receivers back into the game a little bit more. So you're not having to throw that wide, wide out to that receiver, but what is that going to do with the inside receivers? Is that going to give them more room to operate too? Cause the defense is going to have to pay more attention to the outside now.
1: Well, well, before I answer that question, I just want to say, if I'm an offensive player in the CFL right now, I would be offended because they're basically saying, these offenses, you guys can't score anymore. And, and we, we have to make these games uh, more exciting, and the players can't get it done. So I, I would really be offended if I was an offensive player, offensive coordinator, because the players can't get it done. So I just wanted to put that point out there. But you know what? It, it, it's, if you're a player, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, of course, it's going to balance out the field. It would allow the quarterback. When he comes out and looks and surveys the field, he could be able to throw it to either side. But those slots, because they are the closest ones to the quarterback, they're always going to get the ball. They're always going to get the ball. It's more difficult for the outside receiver, especially that far outside receiver when the hash hash marks were so far apart. It was very difficult. But now the field is more balanced. It's going to make it more difficult on the defense. It's definitely going to make it more difficult. You're going to have to have some guys who can run. I mean, you need a guys who can run before, but your guys, those halfbacks and those outside linebackers, they're going to have to be able to run because if not, we could see some games where they're putting up 50, 60 points and it will be with ease. So it's definitely going to add to the offenses, uh, but and hopefully it does, but it's going to put a lot of more pressure on those defenses.
2: All right, yeah, so, so you so – you got you got things established in Winnipeg you started learning the inside receiver position for the first few years in Winnipeg though it seemed like there was always a lot of turnover was it difficult to it was it difficult to keep to keep things up because with with all the constant changes going on was it hard to hard to keep playing your game when you had to adjust to new quarterbacks all and new coaching staffs all the time
1: well it, it it was difficult, but the the thing that uh was good for me was the quarterbacks would adjust to me, you know especially when you have a young guy who's uh not experiencing the c f l and early on in my career, I played with a lot of those guys you know they, they would come to me for guidance because I had been there a few years and I somewhat knew the nuances of the game. I was able to read defenses uh from the slotback position, so they would basically play off of me because there's a lot of times where uh, I, I would tell them, you know, I'm going to read the defense and if they're not, uh, uh, if, they're, if I have to adjust my route, you have to be able to read me. So I was fortunate enough where those guys would understand that the offensive coordinators I played with, they would let me have some leeway. So it was difficult because we were losing, but I was able to, uh, and I'm not being selfish. I was able to still get my numbers because those quarterbacks were able to adjust to me. But anytime you're playing a, a team sport and you're losing, it's difficult regardless of what your numbers are. So, Early on, it was definitely some trying times, and as you alluded to, I mean, it was a revolving door. You know, it's, there were some years where I played with a different quarterback. You know, three or four different quarterbacks during the year, and it's hard to find that chemistry. But as I mentioned, uh, like I say, those guys were able to adjust to me, and I was still able to have some success even when we were losing.
2: Uh, and then, and then they, and then things started to click right around the right around the turn of right around the turn of the century. Kari Jones comes yep. in and stability comes in, and that makes your life a whole lot easier, doesn't it? Oh,
1: my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Kahari, Kahari, he he was something special. It it was unfortunate that he sustained some injuries, and his career was uh, shortened because of his shoulder injury, but Kahari was a very special player. Uh, I wish I could have played with him longer, but after that, I got to play with Kevin Glenn. But Kahari, we had a, a, a way of communicating without communicating there was one time where there was a run play call, but we both looked at each other and we recognized what they were trying to do on defense. And instead of handing off the ball, he dropped back because he, he knew I saw the same thing. And we threw a long bomb for a touchdown. And we come to the sideline and everyone is looking like, what are you guys doing, offensive coordinator? Like, how did you guys know that? How did you guys know you were going to be on the same, you know, the, the, the same page and everything? But we just had, to, we, we were able to communicate without communicating. He knew when I was going to change my route. I didn't have to, you know, indicate anything. He knew I was going to change it. I I knew he knew I was going to change it. So, it was something truly special that we had. Like I said, it was unfortunate that we didn't get to play together even longer because it's it's probably crazy the numbers we are going to put up. But after him, Kevin Glenn came in and, you know, we had some of that same chemistry also. So, I was fortunate and not not saying anything bad about the other quarterbacks I played with, but Kevin Glenn and Kahari Jones are a big reason why I was able to do what I was able to do on the football field. Without those two guys, I don't even know if I'm in the CFL Hall of Fame.
0: I just got to get this in here. Joe, as a, a Bombers fan, is getting his time. I want to ask you as an <laughs> oh, fan.
1: How do you like Curry Jones as coach? I love him. I love him. He, he's getting a bad rap. Uh, some people thought he should have been uh, let go after last year because there were some high expectations and he couldn't get it done. But you looked at the at the mud he stepped in. It was maybe quicksand, but <laughs> Kahari being so mentally strong, he was able to get out. He was handed the job, what, right before I ran the training camp, you know. So he was the head coach and offensive coordinator, and they did a great job. You know, th- th- they're working with a lot there. Vernon Jones, I guarantee you he loves him. I think he's going to have a big year this year. They have a great relationship. So, of course, he's on the hot seat right now. I think he's working on just only this year. Uh, Machocha I'm sure he would love to get the person he wants in there or maybe even he would love to coach we know how that works so it's a lot of pressure on Kahari Jones but he's a great coach he is a great coach I wish the best for him Uh, of course I can't say that on air because I have to be as unbiased as possible but I think he's going to do a great job I think Vernon uh, VA is going to have a great year and I could see them possibly winning the east so I wish the best for him from a personal standpoint I think he's a great person to have as a head coach
0: excellent thank you for that i
2: appreciate that (laughs) i mean since since we're here too um we've been we're kind of thinking that this is going to be the east year to really stand out as opposed to how it's been for the last quite a while where the west has been dominant this yes. might be the year where the East is challenging to take one of the West playoff spots. What do you, what do you think? How do you think, how do you think the season's going to play out? Just in general? Well, I
1: know all, all four of those teams, as you mentioned, I think all four teams in the East are going to get the playoffs. It, it, we may see the crossover the other way, which we have never seen. It's always one of the West teams crossing over, but as you mentioned, everyone in the East is strong. Now, Ottawa, you look at their situation right now, they are strong. They are contenders, not only to win the East, but to win the Grey Cup because they shored up that quarterback position. And once they shored that up, you saw a bunch of other free agents want to sign there. And, of course, the great coaching staff they have uh, and, and Paul LaPolice and, and Benny and, and, and Bobby Dice is their uh, special teams coordinator. So the East is strong. All those teams from top to bottom. Toronto, great quarterback situation with McLeod Bethel-Thompson and the great coaching staff and, of course, the pinball Clemens and Montreal, as we just talked about, and, of course, Hamilton. You know, can they get back to the Great Cup for the third time in a row? So they're strong. Of course, the West have the, as the jersey you have on the mighty bombers who have to be the favorites. Of course, they lost some guys, but they still have the nucleus of their guys. But beyond that, Edmonton, what they're going to do. Yeah, they have a great coach in Chris Jones, but I don't care how great of a coach you are if you don't have the pieces on the field. Calgary, what is Bo Levi Mitchell going to look like? Yeah, we, they have the mayor there. Uh, and Jake Mayer is the quarterback, but he's still young. If Bo Levi Mitchell is not up to par, I don't know how they compete. I think Jake Mayer will be good down the road, but I don't know about right now. And of course, Saskatchewan, Cody Fajardo, Cody Fajardo. What is he going to look like? You know, he seems to be somewhat uh, mentally a little weak. He's a great player, but he seems to be not able to handle the pressure. So as you alluded to, I think the East is definitely the stronger of the division out of the two.
2: Yeah. And that's something we haven't been able to say for a very long time, if if ever really. Um, But back, but going back to you, back back to your playing days for just a few more moments here, uh, so so Jones has to leave with the injuries. Kevin Glenn comes in, A little bit of a rough start there, but then something seems to be brewing. Uh, the team starts to get better and better uh, as Kevin starts, and that 2006 and 2007 team teams were pretty strong. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to say, uh, like one of the first memories I had of the. I, actually being a bomber fan was the uh, was the uh, last second touchdown against Edmonton.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, when,
2: so uh, what, so of course situation's not a great one at that point is the play call mm-hmm. at that point. Just run as far as you can and let Kevin hit you.
1: That was pretty much it. The, the previous <laughs> play before that, that was, that was it. The previous play before that, Uh, And and Kevin threw me the ball, and when we both came back, and I came back to the huddle, I'm like, Kevin, did you see the defense they just played? Like, and we both looked at each other. Like, if they play that defense again, we have an opportunity to score. I mean, I didn't think we were going to score. Come on, we're on a 10-yard line. We got to go 100 yards. I didn't think we were going to score. I was like, we got an opportunity. But our play was, hey, just throw it up. We have nothing to lose. And that's exactly what happened. He threw it up. I caught it. I think I turned invisible because the guys just missed me. I think they closed their eyes or whatever. But, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the greatest play, you know, in, in my football history. It was just the, uh, the, everything, the way things happened. You know, we, were, we had, had the game sealed. Kevin did a quarterback sneak. Got some extra yards, fumbled the ball. They scored. They kicked it off to us. We got a penalty. So, we moved back to the 10-yard line and then, hey, the greatest play in not only in Milk Steagall history, but football history happened right there. So football I mean, I history. Wow. I, I, football history. Not just <laughs> Milk Steagall history, football history. So <laughs> always remember that play. It, it, it was a good play. I remember Doug Berry running down the sideline. Doug Berry hadn't ran in years. So he was running <laughs> down the sideline. So it's a pretty cool memory. You know, when I talk to the guys I played with back then, we always talk about that play.
2: yeah it's one i'll never forget i actually had like a two megabyte little little tiny mp3 player with a video screen (laughs) one megabyte on that on that thing was right that play and the rest of it was anything else but that play stuck on that thing until that thing died (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah so the team starts getting stronger Mm. but uh, but you're but you're seeing your career starting to wind down uh, right, 2000, right. 2007 comes and uh it, it was it was the big shot you're that you got that you guys were going to have on that uh right. to go for a gray cup can you just tell me how that season kind of played out a little bit um it's kind of hard for me to pull back a lot of memories it was not the easiest time to be a fan down here because the tv coverage wasn't really right, all right, that right, all, right, all right. that but but Going into that season, did you guys have that feeling that it was your year finally?
1: We had the feeling. We definitely had the feeling. You know that was uh, Doug Barry's uh, second year. You know things were were looking good for us. They brought in some great players. I was Terrence Edwards' uh, first year. Charles Roberts was still killing it. Uh, Kevin Glenn was feeling himself. He was killing it. We had a great defense. Everything you know was working out for us. Of course, we hit some patches. During the season, uh, we finished second in the East. Toronto finished second. But going to the playoffs, we felt we were walking on water. Things were we, – we were floating. So that first game, playoff game against Montreal, uh, we came out. It was a late second uh, victory. I remember uh, uh, Marcus Brady, who's now the offensive coordinator for Indianapolis coach was the quarterback because Anthony Cavill uh, was dealing with some, st- some injuries and some other stuff. So I remember we had to stop him. On a third and one to win the game. And we did. Uh, we go in Toronto for the Eastern Conference uh, finals. We put it on them, but a lot of people know the end of that game is when Kevin Glenn, it was maybe what, three or four minutes left in the game, handed off to Charles Roberts. Uh, Charles, it was a mishandle, fumbled the ball. Kevin tried to pick it up, and somebody landed on his arm and he broke his arm. So we're still confident. Yeah, we got Ryan Dinwiddie. Uh, this will be his first game starting in the, the biggest stage in CFL, you know, first game start, but we're still confident because we felt that we had enough weapons and we did, you know, we, we could have played better. Ryan could have played better. It still came down to the end of the game, but you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And a lot of people say, well, if you ever had Kevin, you guys would have won. We don't know that. You know, I, I don't look at life that way. I look at life, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to play the cards that was dealt and those were the cards that was dealt and we couldn't get it done. So It's unfortunate. That uh, I wasn't able to win that game, that great Cup, and win a great Cup. But uh, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing because I had a great career and had some great memories, and I enjoyed every single moment of it. Yeah
2: it it, it was a it was quite a great run. It just yeah I, I remember watching that one. That was a tough one to watch, but I, I didn't think I didn't think the team played all that poorly either. It was just that Ryder team was pretty good in, in its own right too.
0: There
1: we go. Anytime you lose, you play poorly. That's my opinion. <laughs> anytime you lose, you didn't play mm. well enough. <laughs>
2: At, yeah. I was also there for Labor Day that year where Kerry Joseph took the run in. So yeah, that was one of my first CFL experiences. It was a great experience. It's just I, I yeah, kind of wish that would have ended yeah. slightly differently. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> La, La, Labor Day Regina is, is special. That, that's one of the things. Uh, you know what? And uh, I, I don't mean to go long, but go I, I don't miss actual – Playing football. I miss things like that. We used to catch the bus to Regina for a Labor Day Classic and interact with those fans. It'd be a bunch of fans from Winnipeg and Regina and they'd be out there cutting up together and we get to interact with them, you know, the day before and, 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 and after the game. Those are the, I don't actually miss playing football, but I miss being in a locker room and having those experiences like that. Those are the things I miss about football.
0: You're touching on some of the things I'd like to get to here. You're talking about not missing football, talking about missing the great cup. Uh, we had Ricky Ray on the show last week. And one of the things that we talked about is just sort of that decision to retire. Now in uh, the off season, 2008 uh, you decided to go one more year and the official website, CFL.ca reported that you had conferred with a couple ex teammates, uh, Harold Nash and, Maurice Kelly at that point what was their advice and and was this about like rolling it back and trying to get that cup win
1: yeah it, it was and after 2007 my plan was going to 2007 I was going to retire that was it right uh it, it, of course it would have been if I would have won that great cup would I have retired probably hmm. probably I probably would have hmm. retired and I still was going to retire but you know the blue bombers they asked you know, you want to come back for one more year, and my wife was like, "Well, maybe you should go back for one more year." Uh, and we 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 put the ball in motion. It was unfortunate that if I would have known that off season I was going to have to have microfracture surgery, I wouldn't have went back. I wouldn't have went back because first of all, that surgery requires uh, nine months of rehab, and I was working on wow. three months of rehab, so I missed the first uh what six seven games, and then when I tried to play, I was a shell of my own self. But the ball was already rolling, you know, ticket sales or some of the ticket sales was based on me coming back. And I had put some things in motion. So I, I decided to come back. But I was a shell. of my, I mean, I didn't practice one time that entire year. I just played in the games because, I mean, my knee wasn't totally healed up. So I was, you know, I was happy that I made that decision. But if I would have known that I was going to have to have that knee surgery, I wouldn't have made that decision and played that last year because, I mean, I was like I said, I was a shell of my own self. Father Tom is undefeated. He is definitely undefeated and he got me that year.
0: (laughs) I like to think that Charles Barkley first said that. I don't know if he did, but that's the first time I was. As someone who never played the game, I got to say, I'm very interested in your second career as well. How did you come to TSN and what was the biggest adjustment for you going to that other side?
1: Yeah, well, you know what? It, it it the, the <laughs> ball started rolling in 2007 and I was being interviewed by uh, Brian Williams who actually just retired from TSN he worked he's done everything at TSN he just retired he was interviewing me and he asked me you know what I think you have a future in TV if you want one I thought he was joking he was like when you retire we're gonna look and, and bring. I was like okay so I retired and like two weeks after I announced on retirement I get a call from one of the big wigs telling me, hey, I want you to come try it. I'm like, what? We want you to come try it. They sent me a contract (laughs) and I went in and there was no audition. Their their thing is, you're going to sink or swim. And if you can't swim, you're up out of here. That's how it works. So I went in and I worked the game. And the biggest adjustment, and I didn't realize this, was that earpiece is in your ear because there may be someone talking to you while you're talking. So no one told me I didn't have... So I'm talking and we're live on TV, and all of a sudden I hear someone talking in my ear. I'm like, what is going on? What is why is he talking? I'm trying to focus. And he's telling me, you know, you know, we're gonna change this up, or you know, you, you you're running over time, or you gotta cut your time. Sure, when you change up the subject. So <laughs> no one told me. I don't know if they didn't tell me on purpose or what, but adjustment. <laughs> it took me probably about a year and a half to get used to that. That was the biggest adjustment wow. right there. Yeah. That was a big adjustment. Wow. The-
0: yes. I've tried to do that a couple of times, and it's just impossible. It, you have to open your brain in a certain way. and It's just I can't do it. What do you make of all this stuff we've had recently about the CFL thinking about changing the four downs, about this XFL merger that never happened, about, you know, um, having to conform to like American rules? What do you make of all this?
1: Well, of course, as an old-school CFL player now, you don't want any of this to happen. But they're thinking about this because they understand that you know the fan base that they're trying to get, they have to do some different things. You know, Of course, the people who watch it now, they're good to go, but that's an older fan base. If you want this younger fan base, if you want some individuals who aren't watching the CFL now, you may have to make some changes. It's sometimes some changes that... A lot of people who are diehard don't want, but I'm sure the research has been done and people are saying, this is what we want to see. Maybe, maybe you need to change here. Maybe we need to change there. So they're not doing this just to make changes, to make changes. They're doing it because they're trying to attract a different fan base. So let's hope that the, the, that, that the traits that been there for years the three downs and the motion and all those things, they don't, they don't get removed, but, Hey, if this is what it's going to take for this league to last 100 years, changes have to be made. They do it all in other leagues. They do it in baseball. They do it in basketball. They do it in NFL. Changes are always being made. So if changes have to be made to make sure this league is around 100 years, I'm all for it. Of course, I I would like for them not to be made, but if that's what it takes, I have no problem for it. I've got a couple of questions that
0: are not on first question. Can the Raptors really take out the Sixers in this series? And what is Doc Rivers' problem finishing?
1: Yeah, because if if the Raptors can come back, this will be the fourth time that Doc Rivers has been up three to one and can't get it done. I think so. Yeah, I definitely.
0: Yeah, I think he's seven seven out of his last nine deciding games they've lost. Uh So he's on that. This will be like nine out of eleven if he dumps these last two. So, so what's going on here? What, what's, what's up?
1: I think, well, I think the Raptors can, and it's not because of the Raptors it's because of Joe and B is not a hundred percent because James Harden, I mean, yeah. no disrespect to you guys, but you guys may be in better shape than James Harden right now. He, 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 he's supposed to be an elite player, but he's allowed himself to get too much out of shape. And when you're supposed to be an elite player and people are dependent on you to get it done, get it done and Joe Embiid is just not himself you know he's dealing with a if his pinky was hurting that wouldn't be a problem but he's dealing with his thumb on his shooting head that controls the, the way that ball is going to go and he can't get it done so the Raptors can definitely get it done as far as Doc Rivers I think it's mental now because you know he's been through this before and I mean he's a great coach he's won a, a NBA championship a long time ago but now that, that that those questions keep coming up once again Doc Rivers can't close it out. So now he's thinking about it. So now when they get in those pressure situations, he may be panicking instead of just relaxing and saying, okay, I know what to do in these situations. I'm a championship winning style coach. I think other than, I think when now what he's saying is, Hey, is this going to happen to me again? What do I need to do to get out of this pressure situation? So I think he's clamming up and clamoring up and not allowing himself to relax and say, okay, I know what to do. Let's call this play. Let's get this person in the game. And the pressures may be getting to him. Because if they allow the Toronto Raptors to tie this up three to three, they're not going to win it. They don't need to go to seven games. They need to knock them out this next game. Because if they go to three to three, the Raptors will have that momentum. They'll have their swagger. And they will win this round. The the 76ers will be going home. And the pressure will really be on Doc Rivers in the offseason saying, is he the guy to be the head coach of the Raptors? I mean, of the 76ers.
0: Who do you like going forward? I'm getting a strong pull towards Golden State. There you Boston. go.
1: There, yeah. there you go. I I I think you're on the right path. I think you're on the right path. And mm-hmm. I, I, I would favor Golden State because we're seeing the Warriors play the way they play. And Steph Curry is not even up to par. He's probably about se- he's coming yeah, off the he's bench about 75, 80%. When he gets a hundred percent with Jordan Poole and Clay and all oh, those guys and Steve Kerr is their coach. It's going to be difficult. But Boston, they play an old-school type of defense. They remind me, and they can't be as physical as they are, as the bad boys. Remember the bad boys, Detroit bad boys, the way they used to play defense? Oh, of course. That's what those Boston Celtics are doing. They're they're, they're taking the form of the defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart. You see the way he plays, and you see their superstars. You see Tatum and Brown. When your superstars are playing defense, you know those role players are going to buy into it. So defense is great. But you can't count the Milwaukee Bucks. They, 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 they have Anthony You can't count those guys out either. So, if I was a bet man, I, I would agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the Warriors and the Celtics in the finals. Why do you think
0: that Milwaukee and Phoenix they're almost like an afterthought compared to previous champions? Why do you think that is? Well,
1: Phoenix, it, 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 it it's the uh, CP three curse. I don't think he's ever going to get a championship. So, whatever, whatever mm. team he's on, they, they've been cursed. Uh, with, with Milwaukee, it's still like, okay, yeah, you won a championship, but you're, you're, you're I don't think you're still the team yet. And they have some great pieces. And, of course, Middleton is hurt, uh, but uh, Drew is great. And the Cupo, uh, they, they have some pieces there. But as you mentioned, you know, people are calling Milwaukee paper champions. You know, if you do it again, then we'll say you're there. Uh, as you mentioned, Phoenix, they don't have Booker. And when you're talking about a hamstring, a hamstring – it takes longer than two weeks in my opinion. I know they have the best yeah. uh, medical people doing work on him. And with that hamstring, you think it's healthy. Then you go out there and you mess it up again. So CP three is one of the greatest uh, point guards of all time. But if Booker is not back and he's not healthy, I don't yeah. give them a shot.
0: Yeah. They're not going to have enough when the Warriors going bombs and
1: wear. No, no,
0: not at all. Not at all. Well, the thing, the thing I'm liking about Boston and, Golden State and Milwaukee to a large extent is these teams are more organic. You know, there's no, there's no attempt to be a super team here. These are, in the case of the Celtics, these guys have been around. I mean, they were playing LeBron when he was on the Cavaliers in the Eastern Championship a few years ago. Those guys are still there. You know, Brad Stevens is still in the front office. You know, he had a say on the coach, you know, and that's just, that's what I like. These, These are organizations winning rather than the super team experiment um why does the super team experiment fail so badly
1: well you when you build a super team you're dealing with a bunch of alpha males (laughs) and don't get me wrong i know boston they got some alpha males but those guys they're there because they were drafted there you know they were drafted there they didn't necessarily want to be there i don't know but they're happy to be there but when you talk about super teams you see what LeBron I love LeBron I mean I love LeBron The only person I love more than LeBron is maybe my wife I, I'm the biggest LeBron fan ever but he tried he tried <laughs> to bring in too many old heads you tried to bring in Westbrook and then Carmelo Anthony and all these guys it's, it's just not going to work and I know he thought those guys still had some 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 gas left in the tank but it didn't work and then you see in Brooklyn Tyree Irvin and Harden and and, 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 and KD tried to get together and that didn't work out. Then they shipped hard in the way. And then you bring in uh, Ben Simmons, who's talented, but his mentally, he is done. He's done. And KD and Kyrie couldn't get it done. So it's difficult. Yeah, it did work when LeBron went to Miami, and it maybe worked when KD went to uh, Golden State. But you see, KD was winning, but he still wanted to build his old team because he's an alpha male and he yeah. wasn't the alpha male there. Yeah. So it's difficult when you're trying to yeah. bring these alpha males together. I'm not saying Katie and Kyrie maybe are not going to win in the future, but right now you see what happened to them. They're the only team who didn't win one playoff game in the playoffs. The Atlanta Hawks won a game. And yeah. the Brooklyn Nets couldn't yeah. win it. So it, it's difficult when you try to get these alpha oh. males together.
0: My Lakers didn't either.
1: Okay. Last one. In
0: 2019, on a show called The Start on CJOB 680. You were asked about hashtag paper
1: plates.
0: (laughs) And at that time, you declined to answer what this meant and what this was about. Are are you willing to make a comment? I'll tell
1: you like I told them. There's only two people on this earth that know what it means. (laughs) That's that's myself and my oldest son. And I tell them, do you think I would let you know? My wife doesn't even know. The person I sleep with, well, we don't, you know what I'm saying when I sleep, sleep with every single night. She don't know. <laughs> you think I'm going to tell you? No. Even though, your hair, even though your hair may look as good as my wife's, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you can't blame me for trying for the scoop. I can't blame Milt Stiegel, thank you so much for joining us on the Bruce White Blue CFL podcast for talking to us about the CFL and the NBA this evening. We really appreciate that.
1: No, thanks for having me on. I wish you guys a bit. Now, where are you guys located exactly?
0: Uh, I'm in Orange County, California. Right,
1: there you go. All right.
2: Yep. I'm in western Wisconsin, uh, 90 minutes east of the Twin Cities.
1: Oh, okay. All right. And, man, I, I appreciate you guys supporting the, uh, CFL. Man, that, that's pretty big. You know, when we have individuals down here in the state supporting it, man, I love to see it. And I I thank you guys for the support. Helps me out.
2: Yeah, I just, I just wish there were a few more of us. Yeah, I know. It's kind of lonely sometimes.
1: It, 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 it's growing like down here when I tell people, you know, where I played, and when I, oh yeah, no, no. We watching sometimes when it comes on ESPN too, but once the NFL and college football starts especially down here in the South. yeah, Oh yeah.
0: Oh,
2: that's, yeah. Is, that's, so, that's yeah. the biggest issue I see when they, they talk about trying to grow the audience. If they want the U S audience, they're going to have to shift seasons basically. And that's one of those things that the traditionalist and. I'll admit it myself would be really against, but it's difficult. You gotta grow the game somehow. You gotta find revenue yeah. stream somewhere. I mean, that's one of those things that I could see happening someday.
1: Right, right. Well, let's hope that let, let's hope the league keeps growing. And as long as there are individuals like you guys supporting it, I think I think we're in good hands. So thank you very much. Okay. So
0: now we're back with the other part of the show, the probably less interesting part of the show where Joe and I just talked about it, CFL. But I hope there's some crossover, the CFL and the NBA there, because uh, I certainly didn't plan to to sequester uh, Milt verbally and go off on the NBA, but uh, we both love the NBA. And uh, I swear to God, Joe, in the future, we got to try and get a guest who who also likes the uh, WWE, right? Because I know that there's a tremendous crossover there between the CFL and the WWE, so...
2: Sure. I mean, I could get, you know, next time we have Josh or something, we can just go, <laughs> go nuts on that for like an hour and see how much hate we'll we get.
0: Gonna, <laughs> we're going to try and get Travis on the show. This guy could spare, uh, that spare too. a minute. That would be great. I have talked to Travis in forever. So. But anyway, uh, good to talk with Milt. Hopefully we'll have another interesting guest for you in the near future. But Joe and I wanted to talk a little bit before, before we release you from our hold with this podcast. Um, about the rule changes just announced a few hours ago as we report this. Um, I don't know. My, I commented on this a little bit. And, of course, that was my hot take on it, too, was that, yeah, of course, they're favoring the offense. I think almost everybody came to this conclusion. Um, you know, stuff on kickoffs, you're going to get five fewer yards. Uh, the kickers will. Uh, more protection for the, the return men. Uh, with the five-yard cushion and whatnot. Um, there is the hash marks rule that Joe and Milt talked about. Um was there anything specifically besides the hash mark rule that really stood out to you, Joe, in these things? Uh anything really revolutionary here?
2: Uh the hash mark was the big was the big one because it's gonna widen the amount of field the offense can really use more often because if you have a play go to the sidelines the hash marks weren't all that far from the sidelines and now they're going to be in a lot closer to the middle so you can so you're going to have a lot more room to play before you have that the boundary side the sidelines are going to come in so you're going to be able to use more more even on the short side of the field you're still going to have more space Uh, but then you also the defense also has to honor the wide side so uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, and like i was asking no does that open up room for people in the middle it's going to be interesting to see how the defensive coordinators uh decide to attack this uh because the offense the offense is you know five wides one right. back that's a lot that's a lot to handle it's easy it's easier for a defense when they can kind of ignore a side of it they're not going to have that the benefit of that right anymore. there is no
0: weak side when you're doing those widespread offenses, right? There is no weak side. So, yeah, okay. That's an interesting point. Now, there was a certain bit of CFL Twitter uh, amongst the the cries and lamentations for the the, uh, defenses uh, about this one very obscure rule, as far as I'm concerned. According to the CFL official website, this rule says, Two quarterbacks will be allowed on the field at the same time, provided all other ratio rules are satisfied, which will, well, okay, I think this is editorializing, which will allow for some additional imaginative play calling. Here's the thing for me is that how important can this rule be? I mean, there are few enough CFL teams that have a really proper number two quarterback much less an athlete. You know, I mean, is the world really dying to see Vernon Adams and Matt Schultz on the field at the same time? I mean, is that, I mean, is this really, I mean, are we really going to start seeing Wildcat stuff in the CFL? Really?
2: We're we're a little bit close to the start of the season to see that have a lot of effect (laughs) this next season, but it'll be interesting to see maybe in 2023 if, offensive play callers start playing around with that more and i think you're you would see that more if you have a couple of mobile quarterbacks on your roster um it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do it with uh pocket passers of, of course. course because it, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna, it's not gonna be a threat uh, but if you have but if you happen to have two mobile guys one that at one that has good enough hands to play receiver so that the defense has to honor that threat potentially then you can do, especially with all the motion going around, you can make the defense have to pay attention to two potential passers, you know, even more so than you, than you ever had to. I mean, you, we haven't seen a good classic halfback option pass in quite a while. Have <laughs> we, well, but if you happen to have two players with a skill set of say a right. Adams, uh, on the same on the same club right you know you you put one in motion coming toward the middle your defense is going to have to honor the fact that he can pass or run um when you got two guys when you got two guys that can do that that's going to make it harder for defenses to commit to one of those players running a jet sweep, say. Well, that's going to be some like okay, you going to pull up and throw it over my head if I decide to crash. That's
0: some wild play calling, but geez, I mean, what are we talking about? Twenty thirty? I mean, because they're depending on the pipeline of these, you know, post Michael Vick quarterbacks, and it's just like, well, you know, they're still kind of rare in the NFL. They're super rare in the CFL. I mean, how often are you going to see? like guys like this in CFL, you know, teams that are capable of doing this. I mean, yeah. No, okay. I, the, the S es- the es- oh, I almost said Eskimos, the Elks, um, you know, are in a situation where they have possibly three competent quarterbacks, but are they, you know, that kind of, are they taste on Hill kind of players? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So
2: no, but again, this is something that just came up, so it's something that somebody's right, been thinking right. about. Otherwise, it wouldn't have come up at right, all. Right. But I don't think it be, it's a big deal until somebody figures out how to use it effectively. Mm-hmm. So I'd give it a couple of years for coaches to, a, have an off season to go, play around with their rosters to try to make this work. If indeed they have anything in mind about it in the first place somebody's got it I, I can't imagine all the coaches do but somebody's got to plan up their sleeves sometime down the line but it's not going to be tomorrow mm-hmm. so that one's that one's one we're not going to talk about a whole lot this year yeah i I'm
0: yeah i just i it's a really obscure kind of rule that really captured a lot of imaginations for for no reason at all as far as i was concerned okay here's another one final one that we can talk about here uh command center is going to get more uh, power. They're going to get to rule out more calls. This is a good thing, right?
2: Yeah, it just streamlines some of the process. It takes some of the delays well, and the weights out of okay.
0: it. Let's hope. Let's hope.
2: Right. I mean, then the idea is, remember how they were playing? Mostly they did this on offsides last year, where they right. were able to you know just go into the official's ear, and all of a sudden, after a play, you don't see a flag or anything, but all of a sudden... The officials, like, oh, we got some command center says this. And it, the offsides false start yep. debates as to our procedure or what have you, where they're where teams are pointing back and forth and the officials get together. That's they're trying to get that sort of stop in that 30 seconds of okay, who went first, who didn't, and just let the command center buzz it down, say, this is what we got, let's go. Yeah, yeah, they're fine, they're trying to find ways to take out these little delays and that's another and there's another rule about post post play objectionable conduct fouls where two is an ejection that's to keep players from pushing each other around the pile for five ten fifteen seconds after plays you know it doesn't feel like a lot being pulled out of there but if you but if you do that ten times a game that's a chunk of time all of a sudden so I can see that I can see the point on that.
0: Yeah, sure. I I just hope that it does like stop the delays. I mean what I mean, people talk about these these additional clocks like a pitch clock in baseball and stuff. What I want is what they have in cricket. And when they go to the instant replay, in cricket, not only do you hear what the judge is talking about, like you can see the angles that he sees and stuff, right? They're showing you the play. Not only that, in the corner, there's a timer that shows you how long he's taking, right? And there's a limit. And I really think that on all penalties, on all, like, eye in the sky stuff, there's a two-minute for plays on the ground and a one minute more for the booth. That's it. That's it. You know, this stuff where they're watching in the NFL where they're watching stuff 72 times has to end. It just has to end. At some point, it's just like, eh, too close to fall right <laughs> so i just hope they keep that in control i mean yes i'm all for you know the view from the goodyear blimp you know getting the play correct i'm all for that but you know just let's not take more time the cfl is finally getting to the point now again where things are moving fast let's just keep it going fast right okay um, what else do you got, Joe? Anything is when is the draft? Isn't the draft next week? I know that the NFL draft starts tomorrow, Thursday, the 28th. When is the CFL? Yeah, so, so
2: so I think it's the third is if I remember correctly. So it's right after the NFL draft, giving teams time to make plans for players that have either been drafted or are priority free agent signings from the NFL. That way they know where to pick players in the draft so right, right. not too much not they're not gonna they're not wasting much time though it's only going to be a couple of days afterwards
0: yeah 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 you yeah, know well, that's what they did that's what they've done for a long time right? it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. so they can do right. those reflections and whatnot and yeah the, the nfl is tight now they uh you know they send out those uh, invites for the non-drafted free agents the ones that they really want like midnight Monday night. <laughs> there they know the guys that they haven't drafted that they want as well. So you know, by by Tuesday or Wednesday, everybody's off the table. It's coming off the table immediately. So it's a, a good right. strategy for the CFL, I guess. Uh like the CFL, the NFL draft is going to be a lot of offensive linemen, defensive linemen this year though. So not as not as thrilling as in years past. In any case, okay. Well let's put a bow on it. For this episode of the Rouge White Blue CFL podcast. I'm Oz Davis from my co-host Joe Pritchard. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.